Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. I have to tell you that necessity really is the mother of invention because if it weren't for my dear friend Eric's having a tumor behind her nose that's growing and the threat of her premature passing, I would not have been open to the man that you're about to meet today or the applications and solutions that he's going to be bringing you. He is the world-renowned hemp oil man, Rick Simpson, who has been bringing the medicinal application of hemp, specifically hemp oil, to people who not only have cancer, but to other terrible diseases who have been significantly helped with this application. I used to think that anything regarding cannabis, the leaf, that there was no medicinal applications. I used to believe that people who were getting prescriptions for cannabis were using it just to smoke dope, that I'm one of the people that ingested that wrongfully and that I never considered before, based on my own brainwashing through the media and through just socialization, that hemp oil, when used properly and in the right dosage and also grown from the right seeds, can assist people in healing from terrible diseases like cancer and other diseases. So I want you all to know that I consider myself very conservative and I consider myself somebody who would never, if you ask me, have been brainwashed by this. But I was brainwashed. I'm owning that now. And I am open to looking at, talking about, and bringing forth and sharing with others solutions that will assist people in all fields. It is my great honor to bring Rick Simpson to its rainmaking time, one of the people who has courageously stood up to an unfair cabal that doesn't want people to be well, that doesn't want people to heal, that has a monopoly on everything connected to healing, that if they have the opportunity, they'll take away all medicinal applications of supplements, herbs, and everything else. You all know it who are listening Rick is the founder of the Phoenix Tears Foundation, and he travels all over the world speaking. He's saved many lives himself. He has been harassed by the police establishment of Canada, almost run out of Canada. His life is always under threat. He's never made a penny saving people's lives and healing people. This man is to be applauded. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Rick Simpson to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning, Kim. It's great to be with you, dear. Always happy to get the message out. <laughs> I think the first thing I had to do was tell the truth about my own brainwashing and my own socialization, because if I can't, very few people can. There's got to be room for people to first say, you know what, I have a prejudice about this, and it's irrational, and it's ingrained. So let me be one of the additional people that have had to come forward and say, I've been brainwashed, I've been socialized to believe something that isn't true. And if it were true, the FDA and the pharmaceutical companies would not be involved in patenting this material. So the first thing I want you to share is about the documentary, Run From The Cure. What was your role in it? I know it was all about your work and your story, but how did it come to be? Uh, well, there was a young man in Amherst uh, named uh, Christian Lorette, and uh, he had heard about what I was doing. So a friend of his brought him down to meet me, and uh, then he came down uh, a few days later, and uh, he's seen some of the patients, you know, coming and going. But, uh, it, you know, it's so hard to get your head wrapped around this. You know, at the end of the day, he, you know, he said to me, he said, this is not believable. And But during the day, I seen him moving in the chair, and I could see pain on his face every now and then. 
And just when he said that, you know, it wasn't believable, he moved, and I seen the pain again. And I asked him, I said, what's wrong with you? And uh, he said, I have scoliosis. And he said, do you know what that is? And I said, yes, I know what it is. And uh, he said, well, what would this oil do for this, this type of thing? And I said, well, it would heal it. And uh, he didn't really believe it. Uh, you know, I know he didn't. You could see it right in his face. But I gave him a tube of oil. And a few days later, I, I seen him, and he told me, he said, after that first dose of oil, he said, within five hours, he never had a pain in his back again. So uh, he was a, that was the reason he made Run From The Cure. And he's gone out, and he's, you know, interviewed many, many patients that have used this. It, you know, the medicine is it's literally a cure-all. It, it works on all types of, you know, diseases. And it promotes full body healing. You know, it's not just about cancer or chronic pain or multiple sclerosis. You know, all of these horrible things that they tell us, you know, the medical system likes to tell us it's incurable. Well, when the oil comes into play, everything changes. You know, this is real medicine, medicine from nature. And it's harmless. There's no addiction to it. There's no danger. You don't die from this medicine. I mean, even simple things like aspirin. Thousands of people die worldwide every year from aspirin. But nobody dies from hemp. But really all I'm doing, I'm just producing, what I started doing was I started producing the essential oil from the hemp plant. I just took the, you know, the buds off the female plants. I put them in a plastic bucket. And then I used a solvent to wash off the resin. Because it's the resin that has the medicinal value. And then I just filter it all and boil the, the solvent off. And when the oil is done, it's like a thick grease. But I found by just ingesting that, uh, what I recommend people do is to, to ingest it three times a day. If you've got something serious, uh, take it you know, early in the morning, mid-afternoon, and about an hour before you go to bed. But you start with little tiny doses, and then every four days, you know, increase your dose. Because this is a very potent medication. I mean, it'll knock an elephant down. <laughs> but uh, it, the healing effects of this medicine are just beyond belief. You know, I've seen it heal everything, that, every disease that I know of. I, I actually, I don't know of a disease that it doesn't work on. And I've challenged the medical system over and over on interviews and things. You know, if you have anything for any condition that's better than this oil, then show it to me. You know, all of these medical experts and, you know, I've challenged them all. Come on the air. Take me on. They won't do it. Well, they definitely know that cannabinoids, or I guess there's another word for it too, we have receptors in our brain, right? In our uh, physiology. Bodies, dear. The Pardon? CB1 and CB2 receptors are everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just part of our endocannabinoid system. Animals have it too. Can you talk about that, Rick? Well, uh, I mean, you know, our bodies produce natural cannabinoids called amandamides. And, uh, you know, if our, you know, we all have, we all have cancer every day. Every one of us has can, we all have cancer because our bodies make these cancer cells. But if our immune systems are working properly, our immune system will kill these cells. But when our immune system becomes compromised, you know, if you have the flu or if you take a, uh, like antibiotics, that type of thing, your immune system is compromised. And that's when cancer, you know, rears its ugly head. And once it gets a foothold, it's very hard, you know, for like for the natural amandamides, you know, to, to do the job. So uh, usually then the cancer starts to flourish. But what we found with this, uh, with this oil, uh, if you decarboxylate the oil, which rotates the molecules in the oil to the delta-9 position, the active position, these, these, cannabino these cannabinoids from the hemp plant will fit right into the receptors, the same as our natural amandamides do. So we, we've seen this over and over again in all types of cancer, 
and it uh, it just destroys the cancer. That's all there is to it. And I, I love working with people like with lung lung cancer, uh, leukemia. These cancers are, are very noticeable. You know the, the the improvements. It's not unusual, like with somebody with lung cancer. It's not unusual to see the improvements every day. You know they can walk further. They they're breathing better. It's just amazing what this substance can do, and it's truly a horror story, you know, what the medical system is doing to us all. It's just all about the money. They don't give a damn about us. That's very, very clear. Now, can you talk a little bit about some of the people that you have worked with, some of the details? I know a lot of this was in the documentary, which really everybody should see. But just a couple of the people that you have provided hemp oil to, what you noticed, where they started, what their dosage was, and what happened. Just a few applications, if you could. Well, uh, you know, what I tell people, the standard treatment for cancer, if you have a serious internal cancer, if you've had no chemo or radiation, the standard treatment is 60 grams of this oil over a three-month period. Although I have seen people do it much quicker. I've seen people cure, cure their terminal cancer in one month. You know, there, there's no danger to the medicine, so I encourage people that are, you know, have serious health issues to ingest it as quickly as they can handle it, but to stay in their own comfort zone. But all of the things we've been told, uh, I know, well, I mentioned it in the book I just put out, uh, one of the patients I treated, his name was Keith Duncan in Amherst, and Keith, uh, he, he had both, both lungs full of cancer, his breathing was down to 70%, the doctors didn't even offer him treatment, they just told him to go home and die. So his son, his son and his wife, they called me, and I went over and I met Keith, and I had a fellow with me from Mac Ann, uh, Rick DeWire. He was doing an, an investigation, you know, for the Legion. And uh, when I went in, Keith was sitting there, and he had a cigarette in his hands. You know, he's 79 years old, and he looked at me, and he said, I suppose you're going to tell me to stop this. And I just looked at him, and I said, no, Keith, I don't care if you smoke or not. It doesn't make any difference. Well, the, the fellow that was doing the investigation kind of shook his head, and uh, after we left Keith's house, he, he looked at me and he said, you know, Rick, he said, you can't say things like that. And I said, well, why not? I said, we're both in our 50s. And I said, we've smoked all our lives. We're still alive. So I don't really think that, you know, I don't think cigarettes are good for you, mind you, but I don't think they're that deadly either. So uh, actually what happened, Keith smoked two packages a day for the whole 90 days at the end of the 90 days. Both lungs were clear and his breathing was back to 100%. Wow. Total miracle. But people have a hard time absorbing it. You know, I, I had a, when I was treating Keith, there was a neighbor used to drop over all the time. And uh, he came over, well, he, he was over there quite often, and he knew all about this, but it was about a year later he called me and he said that his wife had cancer. And he asked me on the phone, he said, does this really work? <laughs> you know, he just seen his neighbor cured of terminal lung cancer, and he's asking me if it works. See, that's the part of him that was brainwashed. Me too. Oh, yeah, we all were, dear. Yeah. We all were. I, you know, it, we've been fed such a pack of lies about this. You know, uh, like from the time I was young, I, I used to worry, used to see my friends smoking it. See, I never really started smoking hemp until I was about 35. But I used to see them, you know, and they'd start, and they'd puff on these joints, and then they'd start coughing. And I honestly thought that they were hurting themselves. You know, I thought it was damaging them. But when you get to understand what the oil is actually doing... It's, you know, it's an expectorant, and it, it makes you cough up all of the, you know, the toxins that we breathe in, the cigarette, the tires from the cigarette smoke and everything. You cough it all up, and that's the best thing, that, you know, that can happen. But uh, they've actually tested the, the, the lungs of uh, people that smoke hemp, and their lungs are just as pink as somebody that doesn't smoke at all. So there, there's no danger or damage to this. 
But people have such a hard time, you know, with the brainwashing, they have such a hard time believing that it's so simple to heal yourself. You know, anybody can go out. Uh, if you can get, you know, your hands on a pound of good, you know, indica bud, the, the heavy sedative bud, that's what I use, the type that makes you want to go lay down when you smoke it. That's what you make the medicine from. And, uh, you know, like I said, the results have just been phenomenal. But uh, I, don't, I really can't say any disease at all. I mean, uh, we've seen, uh, well, uh, well, like Rick DeWire's father. You know, he, was, he was in the hospital in Amherst dying with lung cancer. They'd given him 24 hours to live. And I gave uh, a tube of oil to Rick, and he went in and he asked the doctor to give it to his father. Well, the doctor refused. You know, he said, I won't be responsible. So Rick went in and he took a, a little piece of cracker, and his father, you know, was really in bad shape. He swelled right up. They gave him a dose of chemo, and he swelled up like a balloon. And he was a diabetic, and even his legs split open. It was that bad. But Rick went into the hospital, put a, little, a good, a good big dose of oil on the on the cracker, and fed it to his father. And uh, he went home for the night, and his father could hardly breathe, you know, because of all the fluid in the lungs. So Rick left his two brothers there on the death watch. And the next morning when he went in, the brothers told him, they said within a half an hour, his breathing went right back to normal. And his vital signs had been dropping, you know, steadily because he was dying. And then all of a sudden the vital signs stabilized. Well, the next morning when Rick was talking to the doctors, the doctor said, you know, this often happens just before they pass away. Well, Rick, Rick DeWire wasn't having any of that. He just, he turned on the, to his mother and he said, look, if you want to save dad, we got to get him out of this hospital. So Rick took him home. Now, uh, his father was taking about 24 pills a day. And on top of that, he'd been a diabetic for around 35 years. He just, I think it was two needles a day he was taking. And within a month, Rick, Rick took him off all the medications. The only thing he was taking with the, was the oil. And then within six weeks, uh, he didn't even need insulin anymore. And at the end of the 90 days, uh, Rick asked me about the, about the diabetes, and I said, well, you know, this, this substance rejuvenates vital organs. So I said, I strongly suspect that it's, it's rejuvenated his pancreas. So it's producing the insulin that it should. So we took him off the oil for 10 days. And he had nothing at all, and his blood sugar stayed smack on. No problems at all. But with diabetics, like uh, when, he, when, uh, his, when his father found out, you know, that he didn't need insulin anymore, well, he was just like a kid in a candy store. You know, he loved chocolates and ice creams and all these things he couldn't eat for all these years. Well, he certainly made up for it. But, uh, you know, to see this medicine in, in action, it, it just boggles the mind. But the thing is about this, uh, they can't defeat this. There's no possible way to defeat it because it's too simple. And this is what I always tell people when I do interviews. Like, don't, you don't have to believe a word I'm saying. Simply go out, get one ounce of good hemp bud. You know, preferably, I always use the Indicas, but for skin conditions, even a sativa would work. But just get one ounce of good hemp bud. That should produce between three to four grams of this high-grade oil. And then just go out and find someone with a skin cancer or a diabetic ulcer that won't heal or a severe burn. And put that oil on and, you know, put a bandage on and change it every three days. And just watch what happens. You know, it heals it in no time. Like I've had, I had a severe third-degree burn myself, and I do mean severe. I, like three-quarters of my right hand literally melted, was hanging in gobs. My girlfriend came in. I was, this is back when I first made the oil. I, well, I wound up setting myself on fire is what happened. <laughs> but what, the reason for that was I was full of all these chemicals the medical system was giving me, and I couldn't think right. You know, so I got a little careless, and that's what happened. But 
when my girlfriend came in and she seen the hand, she just shook her head and she got a pair of scissors and cut, you know, it was just these big gobs hanging. So she cut it off. You don't feel it because, you know, it's all dead. And uh, so it was about four days later, she said, you know, Rick, you have to go to a doctor about this. So finally I agreed. So I went in and I seen this doctor and he looked at my hand and he said, when did you do this? And I said, well, four or five days ago. He said, my God, man, he said, there's nothing I can do for you. You know, you've got third degree burns. And he said, uh, he said, I'll have to, I want you to come back in seven days. And he said, we're going to have to take skin grafts from your back and all of this to try to repair some of this damage. So I never thought nothing about it. You know, he, he just wrapped my hand in gauze. So I went home and I, I had oil. I was trying to make the oil. So in no time I had the gauze all soaked in the oil solvent mix. And the, the weird part of this is I didn't even understand or didn't notice what was happening myself. But the seven days went by, and I went back into the doctor's office, and when I put my hand out, his eyes got as big as two saucers. And he was looking at my hand. He said, seven days ago, you had third-degree burns. He said, all that's there today is pink skin. It completely healed. There was no scars. Even the hair follicles all grew back. So, you know, the, the medicine really... Until you understand it, it, it can really blow your mind. <laughs> but it's a wonderful medicine, and uh, it's such a shame that people have been, you know, brought up to believe that there's some harm factor here. There is no harm. And in reality, to me, this is the only, well, there are many forms of real medicine in nature. But I don't know why people think that they're going to get something from a pill or a poison factory that's going to help them. You know, the, the, the healing is in nature, and we have to use nature. Uh, this whole thing was just uh, a con game. The big money guys played on us years ago when they took over the medical schools and they started their foundations. You know, these are the same people that owned the chemical factories. What a great way to sell chemicals. Convince the people that the, this is medicine and we can sell all kinds of this. And this is what they did. You know, allopathic medicine, that's all it's about. You know, chemicals and poison. But empiric medicine, medicine from plants, we've used it for thousands of years with great results. Well, obviously, they value this application because they filed patents on it. Oh, well, yeah, the American government's had a patent since 2003, but they never brought it out. And they've known how to cure cancer forever. I mean, uh, we know about the, the Medical School of Virginia study in the 70s. That's where I originally got the information. But I've told people right along that I believe, I firmly believe that they've known how to cure cancer for, I would say, about 150 years. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Did you know that approximately 65,000 of the 70,000 chemicals that have been dumped into the environment are considered to be highly toxic? That we are ingesting those toxins through the air, the water, and the food supply? And that no matter how much you eat organic food and drink the best, purest water, we all have to detoxify from these chemicals that we're being bombarded with. We're also being bombarded with something invisible. The radiation fallout from Fukushima, one of the worst man-made environmental disasters humanity has seen since Chernobyl. In combination with the BP oil spill, the fact is that we have to detoxify our bodies of toxins and of the radiation. But how do you do that? You do that with rock-powdered zeolite. Zeolite is the most effective mineral you can take to detoxify your body. Zeolite has been used to treat Chernobyl victims 
the land in agriculture, it's been very effective. It's also given to animals to detoxify as well. If you are interested in establishing a prevention program and detoxifying your body, go to etszeolite.com or call Hank Heister at 818-707-0468. And if you tell him it's rainmaking time, you will get free shipping for the product that you order. Call Hank Heister at 818-707-0468 and order your Zeolite today. And back to the show. Talk about the Virginia Medical School, what you found out. Well, my cousin died a horrible death in 1972 at 25 years of age from cancer. And about three years after I was leaving work, I, was, I worked at a hospital here in Spring Hill. And I was just pulling out of the hospital yard when this report came on the radio. You know, it said THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, has been found to kill cancer. But the announcer was laughing like a fool. You know, I don't know why it is, but every time when you mention the word marijuana, somebody's got to make a joke out of it. Well, believe me, this is no joke. But it was almost, uh, well, I, I had a severe head injury in 97, and they put me on all kinds of chemicals and everything. It, it, just, it just made me worse and worse and worse. As a matter of fact, in 1999, I had a shotgun in my mouth. So I was ready to end it all because I didn't really think there was any hope. What did you have, Rick? Post-concussion syndrome. My, my head rings 24 hours a day. Uh, they've measured the level of the noise levels are when at their very best they're at about 93 decibels, and uh, if it, you know like it can go up even much much louder than that. It, it makes it a, it's very miserable to try to live with this because the noise takes over your life. It drives your blood pressure crazy, and I had balance issues, you know, because I did have a severe head injury, and uh, you know like, like I went for like five years. You know, trying, I, I believed in the medical system. I took their pills. I, I did it all. But I just kept getting worse. And then in 2000, you know, I, in 1998, I watched an episode of The Nature of Things with Dr. David Suzuki. And uh, they were showing people that were smoking pot. And I thought, well, you know, why not? So I went and I got some pot. And sure enough, just smoking the pot worked better than anything the doctors were giving me. But it's still, you know, like, I, you know, with all this noise, I couldn't sleep. So and I, after I went through that, we're almost committed suicide, I, I really started thinking, you know, like, I've got to help myself. So I produced the essential oil from the hemp plant, but at that point I was afraid to take it because I, I didn't know anything about it, and, I, you know, I thought it could harm me. But in 2001, the medical system cut me loose. Uh, they just called me, and the doctor called me to his office one day. He said, we've given you everything we have. Nothing works, so you're on your own. So, you know, I, again, I asked him for a prescription for hemp, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't provide it. So I went home and I started taking the oil. Well, in, as soon as I started taking the oil steadily, like sleeping was no longer an issue. You know, I could, I could take the oil and go to bed for 8, 10, 12 hours. It would just knock you out. But I started seeing these improvements, and my thinking started clearing up. My arthritis in my knees went away. It was just so many, you know, so many wonderful things it did for me. But I, I couldn't believe the medical system, you know, would turn their back on this. And when I, when I started, uh, you know, contacting all the government uh, parties and, well, I mean, I went to the Cancer Society. I, we even went to the United Nations. I went to everybody about this. And I thought within six months, you know, this medicine would be in use. But instead, they turned around and they prosecuted me. So it was, it was a pretty sad situation. How did the prosecution manifest itself? In other words, you were arrested? 
Oh, yes, uh, well, they, they rated me in 2003, but they never charged me on that rate. Then in 2005, uh, you know, I did everything openly. I never hid anything from, from anyone. So in 2005, we'd had a meeting at the, at the McCann Legion, and uh, I had about 10 or 12 patients there, and, you know, they explained what the oil had done for them to the audience, and we videotaped it all. So I, I took, you know, I, I, I took these videotapes and I made copies and I sent them into W5, the Fifth Estate, and uh, the, the da- to David Suzuki, all of these different shows, you know, information shows. And I thought they would do something. But, of course, they never did a thing. And then three months before I was raided in 2005, I took a, a video into the RCMP. The same thing, you know, telling them, you know, like, I wanted some of the local politicians charged with criminal negligence causing death. But uh, three months later, the same detachment comes and raids me. You know, I had 1,620 plants in my backyard because, I mean, I was producing, I was growing the plants, producing the oil, and giving the medicine away. But they didn't want that to take place, so they, they come down and did that raid. And I was charged with trafficking, cultivation, and possession. And uh, then in 2006, I put another 1,100 plants in my backyard. Because I just kept thinking, you know, these people have to wake up. Sooner or later, I mean, everybody has family members that are suffering with something that this oil can help them with. So I just thought it would just be a matter of time. But here it is now, almost 10 years later, and here in Canada, they're still not doing anything. As a matter of fact, they're going the other way. But I, I went through a charter challenge over this. Uh, see, in Canada, under the Charter of Rights, we have the right to life. But, and, but you know, to me, it's just a piece of paper because, you know, they say we have the right to life, but we don't have the right to use man's oldest known and safest medication. So uh, I went through all of this, uh, this charter challenge. Uh, some of the things the judge did in the, during that case were just so off the wall, they didn't even make any sense. And... Uh, Anyway, he said I presented no life-threatening conditions. So, so according to him, like skin cancer and things like that and post-concussion syndrome, they're not life-threatening, you know, because he's, well, he's a judge. He knows nothing about medicine. He had no right to even make such a determination. So I went back into the court system, and I went to the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia with a jury. And uh, they wouldn't, I had 10 patients and six doctors ready to testify. They wouldn't let them on the stand. They said it had nothing to do with my case. And, uh, and I had boxes full of scientific evidence to back me up. You weren't allowed to introduce that either. The only person who was allowed to testify for me was me. And I, I spent about two hours on the stand, and I explained it all to the jury what had taken place. And as a matter of fact, I, some of these jury members, I had treated family members of some of these people. And um, so we went through the case, and... At the end of it, I, you know, like everybody was convinced that I had beat them. And what we were, the jury was only out for three hours. They called them back. And so we went into the, into the courtroom. Well, I stood there and all of a sudden they get up and it's guilty, guilty, guilty. And I was flabbergasted. You know, I, all I could think was guilty of what? You know, healing? What did they say you're guilty of? Trafficking? Trafficking, yeah. Well, see, uh, in, uh, by definition, trafficking means the exchange of goods for monetary gain. Well, I didn't gain anything. You know, the whole thing was uh, the whole thing was just a sham. But the very next day, uh, one of the people that had been in the audience, she she had seen the pr- the crown prosecutor exiting the jury room about three minutes before they came in with my verdict. He tampered with the verdict or with the jury. 
to make sure I was found guilty. That's how they did it. So when you're found guilty, even if it's a kangaroo court, what then happened to you? Well, you still wind, like I did, you wind up with a criminal record. Kangaroo or not, you know, they, they give you a record and, you know, you're, you're classified as a criminal, which is ridiculous. As a matter of fact, that same Crown Prosecutor just here a few months ago, another case in Amherst uh, involving a man making the oil and providing it to people, they took him into court, and this time they, he was caught again leaving the jury room, and the bailiffs and everything tried to lie for him, but they all got caught in the lie. But th- that man should have been disbarred immediately. I mean, he's a criminal. But instead, they just dismissed the case. So they, they just try to keep sweeping it under the rug. And, you know, what I found, there, there's no justice in Canada. These people just make up the rules as they go. But when I finished in, in 2000, I was sentenced in, uh, let's see, February 2008. And after that, I mean, well, I was very disgusted. I was ready to leave Canada. But uh, people kept coming. You know, the, you know they're early in the, even early in the morning, 7, 8 o'clock, they'd be beating on my door. And, uh, I mean, I was tired, but I, I couldn't turn my back on them. So I, I just kept treating people. Well, so for the following almost two years, uh, the following two years, they just left me alone. But then when I went to the Cannabis Cup in, in Amsterdam, they, they made me Freedom Fighter of the Year. But while I was there, the police came in, and they did another raid. But it, it really wasn't a raid. They went in to frame me is what they did. They tried to say that there were 70 pounds of a pot in my house, which was ridiculous. What they did, they went out in my backyard and they dug up 70 pounds of compost and put it in plastic bags and, and carted, it, carted it away. And then they tried to say that uh, I had restricted weapons. Well, when I left Canada, all that was in my house was a child's pellet gun. <laughs> that, that's not a restricted weapon. And then they tried to say that there was booby traps. Uh, well, the day that my son had taken me to the airport to fly out for Amsterdam, there had been some garbage bags, two or three garbage bags in my deck. And he drove some nails through boards and put them around the, the garbage bags so the bears wouldn't get into them. And this is what they said were the booby traps. You know, the, the RCMP were in fear of their lives. Well, that was a bunch of nonsense because they had raided my house three times previously. They had never found any booby traps. They had never found any guns. There was nothing like that. But, you know, to, they'll play to the press, you know, and then the press prints all of these lies. And, it, it, you know, and, and they try to make you look like you're a dangerous man. But, uh, you know, I, I just can't figure these people out anymore. I, I know what's wrong with the world. It's being run by psychopaths. That's the biggest problem. Can we... Uh... Money guys, they basically arranged it so, you know, they get people like yes-men. You know, remember when we were in school, the people that were the teacher's pet and, the, you know, the real suck-ups. Well, those are the ones that later on they become doctors and lawyers and police officers. And uh, they're basically psychopathic themselves. You know, they go around and enforce these idiotic laws, which make no sense. And, uh, but, you know, the worst of it is with the police, I've treated uh, several police officers and their families. But, you know, when they get sick enough, they don't have any, any inhibitions then. They'll come and take the oil. But their fellow officers, they continue on with the raids. And, you know, it's, 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 truly, it's just truly amazing that this, this can even happen in this day and age. You know, we're in the information age, and... And there's so much information on this subject now, and you go on the internet, and, you know, Dave Triplett, Dennis Hill, Shauna Banda, all of these people are putting up wonderful videos and explaining to the public what this does for them. So, you know, we are winning the battle, but it should have been won years ago. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
I want to share with you one of my favorite books about water. I'm a big water advocate, and I do tons of research on water. It's called Dancing with Water, The New Science of Water, a guide to naturally treating, structuring, enhancing, and revitalizing your water by MJ Pangman and Melanie Evans. If you really want to understand the central role of water in your body and how it relates to your health, and you want to learn about the amazing properties that water has and all that it can do for your cells and your mitochondria, if you want to find out why it is that water is not just H2O, but that water can enhance your health critically, pick up this book called Dancing with Water, The New Science of Water, where MJ Pangman and Melanie Evans bridge the gap between the ancient knowledge of water and the new knowledge of water and bring it home to you so you can include this information and this knowledge in your day-to-day life and feed your cells, feed your mitochondria, and get the best water that you can get into your bodies. Go to their website, Dancing with Water, at dancingwithwater.com and pick up this book. All right, and back to the show. I wondered if we could speak a little more in depth about the issue of seeds, how a person gets seeds, how long it takes to grow a plant for people that are not well and maybe have their lives threatened with death at their door. I know you talked about there's a certain type of a plant that they should have or a certain type of a bud. Talk a little bit about the science part. Well, uh, in, when it comes to hemp, there's three main varieties of hemp. There's the ruderalis, which is more or less uh, like Russian industrial hemp. And then there's the indica strains, which are, which are, you know, very, if you smoke them, they're very sedative. And then you have the sativa strains. And the sativa strains are very energizing. And uh, that's the reason I don't use sativas, because uh, you, you don't want a terminal cancer patient energized. You want them sleeping and resting, because that's part of the healing process. So, you know, I, like, I, you know, it was a bit of experimental uh, stage in the first play when I first started this, but I soon discovered that uh, sativas were not a good thing to use. But the, the heavy indica strains and even the indica sativa crosses that are indica dominant, say like 80% indica, 20% sativa, right. quite a few of those strains will work very well. There, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of strains that are very medicinal. But the problem is right now is when you send for seeds, you're never sure what you're going to get. Right. You know, I, I sent for 14 strains one time, and they, they tell you to pick out the strains you want, and then they tell you to pick out the alternates. If they don't have this strain, what else would you like? So I picked out 14 strains and 14 alternates. Uh, now, that's 28 strains I picked out. Out of that 28, I got one, and it was an alternate. So, you know, when people are dying with cancer or they need this, you know, for medication, you know, when they send to these seed companies, they need the heavy sedative strains. But you're never sure that, you know, that you're going to get it. And that's, that's really quite a big problem. And that's something I would like to address in the near future. I would like to start a breeding program with the most medicinal strains in the world and then stabilize them. And then when people, you know, needed seeds to grow their medicine, well, at least then they would know what they're getting. But there are some good strains like L.A. Confidential. There's many of these heavy indica strains that work, uh, just work magic. But I, I still think that we could, we could do it even better. What do you envision? Do you envision a breeding program for seeds? Do you think that that would be done in the United States or outside? Well, I'm not planning on coming to I can't even get into the United States because of my criminal past. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking probably this fall. I'm going down to South America to see what's happening there. I hear there's a lot of legalization going on. 
So as soon as I can find the right country, I, you know, I would like to set up a, a huge breeding program and stabilize you know, the, the, the strains of hemp. And, and at the same time, treat people. Because it's, all it takes is a simple process of elimination. You know, the oil works wonderfully anyway, but, you know, like some oils are better for glaucoma, you know, like uh, to control uh, ocular pressure. Other strains are better for diabetes. Uh, you know, some, pain, some strains are better for pain relief. So, you know, we, we've got to get these strains nailed down, which are the best. And once we have that, then, like I said, supply the seeds to everybody, and then they know what they're growing. How long do the seeds last? Like, if you have a pack of seeds, do you have to grow them within a certain amount of time? How does it work? Well, it depends on how they're stored, dear. Okay. If you store them, uh, seeds, uh, most people just keep them, you know, in the refrigerator. I didn't put it in the freezing part, but I used to keep them in the refrigerator just to keep them cool. And seeds will, they will keep for quite a few years that way. But usually what happens every year, if you had 100 seeds, like every year, you know, less and less of them will pop because, you know, due to the age. But I, from what I understand, they, they found, uh, they said they found uh, hemp seeds in the pyramids. And surprisingly, they've been there for over 3,000 years. Surprisingly, those seeds would still pop. So it's, it's, it's just an amazing plant. You know what this reminds me of, how we talk about writers and poets and artistic people. You know how it's said that the poetry finds the poet? Yes. And the story finds the person as much as the person finds the story or is part of the story. I really feel like there's a poetic artistry relationship between you and hemp that you couldn't get away from it if you tried. Because, oh, no. No. because it's now your calling. This is a calling. After I discovered what the oil could do, yes, it, it, took, it completely took over my life. There's no question. But if the people in the States would only understand, like the founding fathers of the United States of America, you know, George Washington, he grew hemp. Thomas Jefferson, big hemp supporter. You know, Benjamin Franklin, Abe Lincoln. They, you know, these people, well, today, by today's terms, these great leaders and great statesmen would be called potheads. You know, the same people that wrote the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, would be called potheads today. It's ridiculous. The people just don't know the history of this. You know, it's like I said, this is man's oldest known, safest medication. It goes back to 2800 B.C. China was the earliest writings about hemp use and medicine. And no one has ever died with the use of hemp medicine. But yet, you know, the system we have today, well, they would sooner sell us poisons and chemicals and... You know, it's just a game. They, they don't want us to live long enough to ever collect a pension. You know, work for 30 years, drop on your face, and we'll bury you. That's what they want. Some people say, oh, I go to the health food store and I get hemp seeds. That should be enough. That's not what you mean. No, no, no. Hemp, hemp seeds are very beneficial. I mean, you can live off hemp seeds. It's one of the few things on this planet that if you have nothing else but hemp seeds, you can live on it. But hemp seed oil, it, it, is, it is a wonderful substance. It's good for circulation you know, cardiovascular, that type of thing, but it won't cure cancer because it doesn't have the cannabinoids in it. You know, the cannabinoids, they, they form as the plant is growing, they form on, on the bud of the plant and on the leaves. So, you know, this is what really does the healing. But hemp seed oil is very beneficial, and hemp seeds are probably the, the greatest food on this planet. But, but often people get it mixed up. Uh, I know a lot of people were mad at me because I called this oil hemp oil. And they said, well, you know, like, is this the same as the hemp oil we buy, you know, in health food stores? And I said, no, it's, it's, you know, that's hemp seed oil. It's mislabeled. That's the problem. It should have been labeled hemp seed oil. Then people would understand. 
but they they contacted me. They wanted to change me to change the name of the oil. Uh, you know, this is like four years after Run from the Cure was out, and which I thought was ridiculous. And I said, look, I, I mean, all I do, I take the hemp plant, I make the essential oil from the hemp plant. So what else would you call it? It's hemp oil. There's been a lot of difficulties over that, but I hope the public's you know clear on that now. I'm glad you cleared it up. Actually, would it be correct if I understood the kind of oil that you have made and helped people with an essential oil extract? Is it an extract? Yes, it's an extract. Okay. Yes. Totally different molecularly, I would imagine, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, this, this oil that I make is just full of cannabinoids. And I've had my oils tested uh, in Hebrew University in Jerusalem. They've tested my oils. Really? Oh, yes. Uh, you know, I work with some of the best, or the greatest experts in the world, uh, you know, in this, in this field. Can you share a little bit about that? Because that's interesting, very interesting. Well, they, they tested my oils there, and uh, they found uh, the last oil I had tested was 97.6% pure cannabinoids, which is very, very high. This method that I've showed everybody, you know, the simple use of a rice cooker, it's all on our documentary, Run from the Cure, and the information is up on our website, too, how anybody can produce their own medicine. And I mean anybody, because once, if you follow the instructions, once you've made the medicine once, you'll find that it's really no harder to make this medicine than it is to make a cup of coffee. You know, if you, if you have a pound of dry hemp bud, within usually about three hours, the medicine is sitting there ready to use. It's so simple. And, uh, and so many people now, I'm, I, I don't know, worldwide... I, I, I know it must be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people now have used this medicine. And the results, you know, they speak for themselves because these testimonials we get and the emails are, are just so positive. It, it's truly amazing, dear. Have you ever timed the application from planting the seed to the plant being ready? Oh, yes. Uh, but see, again, it depends on the strains that you're growing. Right. Like most of these indica strains, they have a, a quite a short growing season. Like, uh, that's the reason, like here in Canada, most people that grow outdoors, they grow the indica strains because usually by the, around the 20th of September, they're ready for harvest. You know, about three, three and a half months in the ground, they're ready to harvest. But uh, there are sativa strains that maybe take five months or more to mature. So you, you can't really grow those strains here because our growing season isn't long enough. But the, the indicas, they have the short growing season and they have the healing power. So I, you know, I firmly believe that the indicas are the way to go. Have you ever met people that grew the plant indoors instead of outdoors? And would it affect the strength or the capability of it? No, um, well, I grew them in, indoors and out. And uh, I've, you know, I used to buy quite a bit of material from other growers. Uh, no, indoor, uh, my favorite uh, to work with is outdoor plants. Because if you have a good grow year and good, you know, lots of sun, I found that they, they are the most potent. But I've made a lot of medicine from indoor crops, and it healed the people the same way as the outdoor crops. So uh, it's, a, it's just a matter of, I don't care if you grow it indoors or outdoors, but for, you know, for God's sakes, grow it. Very interesting. Can you talk about the evolution of your awareness with respect to the dosage and applying the dosage when you're not smoking it? But when you're taking it, and I guess it's the size of rice, can you talk about that? Well, we put the dosage instructions right up on our website. But, you know, like we're all different. There's no two of us the same, and we all have different tolerances. But, you know, where the oil is so potent, I tell people to start with these little tiny doses. I mean, just a speck of this oil. Uh, you know, I, I always compared it to the size of a grain of dry rice, short-grain dry rice. Well, short-grain dry rice is only about a quarter of an inch long. So about half the size of a piece of dry rice 
little tiny dab of this oil, and they they take it in the morning, mid-afternoon, and about an hour before they go to bed. And then every four days, they increase their dosage. And by doing that, uh, like over a period of time, usually within a month to five, uh, four to five weeks, they're up to the point where they can ingest a third of a gram a dose. And that's, that means like one gram or one milliliter over 24 hours. And, uh, but I have seen people actually take two grams a day, <laughs> you know, people that weren't afraid of it because they, they understood it wasn't going to harm them. But if you're taking a gram a day, then uh, what I suggest is just keep taking that gram a day until you're cured. But people that uh, have been damaged with chemo and radiation, uh, you've got to undo all of that damage that these horrible treatments left behind. So, you know, what I suggest is that people that have taken these treatments, they should take, uh, they should try to get 120 to 180 grams of this oil in them as quickly as possible to undo all of that damage. But it's, it's you know, it, it detoxifies the body. It takes excess weight. If you're overweight, you'll, you'll, it, you know, the, the weight, it's, an, it's the greatest way to lose weight you've ever seen. Really? Oh, yes. You know, I mean, you just eat the oil. It scared me in the beginning because I used to weigh about 190 pounds. And when I started taking the oil, the weight started dropping off me. And I started going to the toilet more often. And I, was, I couldn't figure out what was happening. And I got down to about 160. And I, actually, I was getting ready to stop taking it because I, I thought, you know, this stuff is going to kill me. But then all of a sudden, I, I, I hit 160, and then my, I just stopped losing weight. And I just stayed that way. And you can see all my stomach muscles and everything because I used to swim a lot when I was younger. But I had no understanding at the time that the oil was simply detoxifying me, you know, because it was all like a learning experience. And it took me, it took me a long time. It was like 2005, uh, two years after I started supplying this oil, uh, before I stopped questioning it. Uh, I had a cancer patient come in one day uh, and down at my home, and one of my supporters was there, and, and when she left, he looked at me and he said, do you think it's going to work for her? And I looked at him and I said, well, it's worked for everybody else. And I said, we have to stop questioning this oil. We know it's going to work. And sure enough, it did. But uh, it's, you know, uh, when they talk about gifts from God or whatever, I'm not a religious person. I'm more spiritual. But, you know, in ancient societies, that plant was, it was worshipped as a, you know, as, as a holy plant. You know, because what other plant can give you all of these things? I mean, you can make over 50,000 different things from it. It's a wonderful food source. It's a wonderful energy source, medicine, textiles. You know, we have to be insane not to be using this. How do you avoid the feeling, though, let's say you're not smoking it, of being high? Or should that not matter if you use it to sleep? Well, it really doesn't matter. Okay. But I have had a lot of people that have taken the treatment and followed my dosage instructions, and many of them contacted me back and said they never even got high. But, you know, I, I still strongly suspect they did because it's part of the high is the sleeping and everything and the pain-killing effects it has. So I think they got high, but they just did it so gradually that they didn't even notice it. You know, but, uh, I mean, getting high, I don't know why people are afraid of this. You know, like, if you're going to get high on opiates or some of these pharmaceuticals, well, yeah, the, that, you may wind up dead. But if you get high in hemp, you know, you, you could sit there and eat an ounce of this oil. It wouldn't kill you. But you'd probably sleep for two or three weeks. <laughs> I hear you. But no damage done. Very interesting. How did you lose your own fear of putting yourself in harm's way? Even though to you at first it wasn't just putting yourself in harm's way, you were called to the task of helping people. 
Did you ever have fear? And if you did, how did you lose it? Well, when, when I realized what this oil was doing, you know, I, at the time, I, I thought that, you know, it was so all so simple. I thought that there'd be hundreds of people worldwide doing the same. So when I started, you know, making a big noise about this, I thought other people would join in. But by 2004, I realized that, you know, literally I was all alone. There was nobody doing this. And at that point, I, I did think about it a bit, because if they had to come then and put a bullet in my head, well, that would have been the end of it. But, you see, where I was from Nova Scotia, I don't think they took me seriously. You know, if I had been in British Columbia, now British Columbia is the hemp capital of Canada. If I had done this out there, I think they would have jumped on me with both feet. But where I was way down on the other coast, and I think they just thought I would go away. But I didn't, and I just kept going. And by the time they realized how serious this was, I had so much support that they were kind of uncomfortable with me. They didn't know what to do. So that, that that had a lot to do, and plus when we when we put a run from the cure, I think honestly, I think that's the reason that they didn't send me to jail. How is run from the cure doing now? Because it looks like it's really taken off. Oh, hundreds of millions of people have seen it. They they play this, uh, they play that documentary on television stations in Europe. So hundreds of millions of people all over the planet have seen it, and you know we have con- it's been uh, translated into I don't know how many languages. Here, quite a few months ago, it was translated into Russian. It's been Spanish, French, all the different languages. There's, there's subtitles and everything now. So, you know, literally the whole planet knows about this now. And uh, I really think in the next, just the next few months that this, the door is going to wa- open wide open for this because they, they can't hold it back. You have all of these people suffering for no reason. You know, the doctors sit there and fill their pockets and the politicians and all the rest of them. But why are we suffering for them? You know, in a way, Rick, yes, the doctors fill their pockets and the hospitals and all that, but it's really the pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical companies have a cabal, really them and the FDA control everything. So the doctors a lot of times are just going with the flow and not resisting anything because they don't want to lose their license. I mean, it's serious stuff, right? Well, it is. There's no question. And it is a cabal. There's no question about that either. But, I mean, a doctor's first responsibility is supposed to be his patient. That's, that's the Hippocratic Oath, right? You know, in the Hippocratic Oath, it says, first do no harm, and then down further in it, it says, I shall not administer poisons. So, I mean, the doctors are breaking their own Hippocratic Oath, and very often I've had people tell me, well, the doctors don't know. And, I mean, I'm a power engineer by trade, and I can tell you about the, the ancient steam engines, the first steam engines. I can explain it all out because I know my trade. Well, these, you know, where hemp was used so extensively in medicine, there's no possible way these doctors don't know about it. And here a few years ago in Montreal, there was a, a convention of oncologists. And uh, they were, these oncologists were asked if they had cancer, would they take their own treatments? And over 80% of them admitted right there that they wouldn't take these treatments. So these doctors, they know. But, you know, we go in there stupid and... You know, like, you know, of course, we're panicked and everything. We've got cancer. What do we do? And we put all our trust in that guy in the white coat. And some of these guys, they, they, you know, they, they put on all this phony concern for us. But that's all it is. You know, you know they, and the first thing you know, they're putting you on chemo or radiation. Now, now, chemo and radiation can shrink a tumor. I'm not denying that. But the problem is they are, the, these treatments are carcinogenic. And usually what happens, about a, you know, like maybe the tumor will shrink, and then a year, year and a half later, back comes the cancer. That's what happened with my friend. She went in. She was always an alternative person. 
Right. And uh, the people at USC convinced her. They said, you're going to die if you don't do this. So they gave her top-level radiation and chemo. She almost died like four times. Oh, I She was that. so ill. She was so ill. Well, the, the common I, sense, you know, how could anybody, when you look at chemo, you take your chemo and your hair falls out. Now, if something is, poisons you so badly that your hair falls out, how could it be good for you? And if you walked up, you know, and I use this quite often, I say, look, Walk up to a 10-year-old child and ask that child, is radiation and poison good for you? Instantly, the child would say no. But when you talk to your doctor about these treatments, again, poison, radiation, they'll tell you it's necessary to treat you effectively. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's just a pack of lies. You know, I mean, if a 10-year-old child has more common sense and more medical knowledge than a doctor, then something's wrong with our system. Clearly. Did you say that you just came out with a new book? Yes, uh, yes, uh, Phoenix Tears, the Rick Simpson story. We, we just released it here just a couple days ago. It's, if you go up on our website, you, you can find out where to get it there. Congratulations on the new book. Is it also being made available electronically? or it, it, Right now it is electronic. Oh, it is? It's an e-book right now, and uh, as soon as we raise enough money, then we'll be putting it into hardcover in all these different translations you know, all over the world. Wonderful. So if people go to phoenixtears.ca... Yes. They can order the book and have yes. the book, an electronic copy downloaded. That's great that you did that. I hope that helps you raise money for your foundation. Well, it's not my foundation. It really. isn't? No, Janet Sweeney's taking care of that in Colorado. See, I was stranded in Europe when all this began, and uh, so she takes care of it. I, I don't really have, I, you know, I talk to Janet all the time, and we're good friends, but I really don't have a connection with the foundation yet, as yet. Okay. But is Phoenix Tears your website? PhoenixTears.ca is my website, and the book is uh, Phoenix Tears, The Rick Simpson Story. Okay. And we've got another one coming out, another book coming out probably in a month. That's just uh, mostly questions and answers. And then we have a, we're going to put a third book out about a month later, and that's just a, it'll be a book of testimonials. So we, we have thousands to choose from, so we shouldn't have any trouble making a book. <laughs> that will be fantastic. Talk to us for just a few more minutes, if you wouldn't mind, about what you've noticed in Europe what is the reception in Europe for the medicinal use of this plant? And where do you feel in Europe that there's receptivity? Well, what I, what the difference I found between Europe and Canada, the, the people were much more open-minded over there and more supportive. And, and they treated me with, you know, with a lot of respect. So uh, it was a, a totally different uh, environment over there. You know, I mean, the history of hemp goes so far back in Europe. Now, just in the Czech Republic alone, uh, they discovered some pottery there. And they dated it. It was 26,000 years old. And the imprint on the pottery was the hemp plant. So they've been using it for a very long time in Europe. But see, we don't have that, uh, we don't have that history with the plant. And I found that people over there, they're, they're not as brainwashed. You know, they don't believe all this nonsense that, you know, the governments have been telling us. Uh, but the most, uh, well, the Czech Republic, they're, they're getting a project underway right away. And uh, as I told you earlier, I spoke in Slovenia last year, and within a week I had two out of the three uh, political parties behind me. And I have to go back to Europe on the 14th of August, and then on the 25th I'll be speaking in Slovenia at the World Hemp Congress. So I'm hoping that maybe the, the walls will come down. You know, maybe it might, it might be Slovenia, or it could be some of these South American countries. And uh, I also had good, uh, uh, I had good results in uh, Croatia. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the last time I was in Croatia, uh, within a week, they had me on national television. 
So I, I did get my message across to the people, but you see, they, they won't do that here. They don't want me on television because nobody can take me on and nobody can deny what I'm doing. You know, it's all true. And the doctors are just terrified of this. In reality, I think what would happen once the oil is available, I think nine out of ten doctors are going to be out of work because we'll stay home and heal ourselves. We don't need to run to them anymore. Now, when you're speaking of doctors, you're really talking about hospitals, right? The doctors who are giving chemo and radiation at that point, right? Oh, yeah. Well, there'd be no need for them at all. But, I mean, like things like if you gave yourself a severe burn, well, you don't have to run to a hospital. If you have the oil there, you just put the oil on it, and in no time it'll heal. You don't need to go even go to a doctor for things like that. But what we need, we need, the doctors we need are more like surgeons. Like right. if you get in a car accident or we break a leg, we need somebody to put us back together. That side of medicine is okay. But the other side of medicine, where they're dispensing all these chemicals and poisons, you know, practically everything your doctor gives you is liver toxic, poison to the liver. So to me, they're, they're, they're all just breaking their Hippocratic Oath. And to me, most doctors are nothing more than drug dealers for the pharmaceutical industry. I have another practical question about once you've made the oil, how you preserve it. You said you put it in the refrigerator? No, no, that's where I keep the seeds. That's where you keep the seeds. Okay. Uh, if you have hemp oil, uh, you know, what I suggest, that there's only th- three things that will affect the oil, and that's heat, light, and air. So if you, if you take, uh, put it in a good tight bottle, I usually use darker bottles, but use a dark bottle and a good tight lid or stainless steel container and put it like down in your basement or something. And uh, that oil, and see, the oil is a thick, it's not really an oil, it's a thick grease. And the, uh, the air can't penetrate it. So uh, I've told many people, I honestly believe that if you took that oil and put it somewhere and you went back a thousand years later and opened that bottle, I think it would be just as potent as the day you left it there. So there's no, you don't, you don't have to worry about shelf life with this substance. That's a very important comment you just made. Because I think once people have made it and they go to utilize it, they're going to want to know how to store it in case they get sick again or something happens physically. Now, are people on this for life? Well, that, that's what I suggest that people do. I, you know, I think every man, woman, and child on this planet should be ingesting small doses of that oil every day. And especially today where we have these things like Fukushima. You know, I mean, the effect that Fukushima is going to have on this planet is horrifying. And this is the only substance I know that can undo radiation damage. So, I mean, if you, if you take some of these radioactive particles into your body, the oil will detoxify you and, take the, the, and it'll, it'll flush it from your system. And I've had people come to me that, you know, had taken radiation and they were burnt right from the chest, right through to the back. You know, and their chest looked like red leather because it's burnt that badly. Ninety days later, after they'd taken the treatment, they opened their shirt, you'd never know they had radiation. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it, we have a desperate need for this right now. But everybody, it's not just a matter of having cancer. You know, by the time we're 30, 40 years old, our bodies are full of toxins from the environment we live in. Because everything is poison. And uh, so I suggest that everyone, like every adult, you should sit down, take a full 60-gram treatment just like you had cancer. Then after, the ni- after you've taken the full 60-gram treatment, then drop, your, drop it back to a maintenance dose of about 1 to 2 grams a month. Just a drop at night before you go to bed. And that protects you, and it also prevents diseases. You know, our children should be on this, because if, the, if children were taking the oil, then diseases like uh, MS, uh, diabetes, cancer, they couldn't get a foothold. So it's, it's the one, most wonderful preventative medicine on the planet, 
And for for all of you know, for, from the time I was a kid, they've always been screaming, "We need preventative medicine." Well, here it is. You know, it's right at our fingertips. All they got to do is let us do it. And they they always use that same old argument. You know, well, you know, we have to keep it from the children. Well, that's a pile of nonsense too. Uh, Melanie uh, Greshner, she did a study back in the '80s to find out where the healthiest babies on the planet were born. And when she she looked into it very deeply, and she found that the healthiest babies born on this planet are born to mothers in Jamaica who use hemp a great deal. So if if you know using hemp doesn't harm a baby in the developmental stages in the womb, well then why shouldn't a child of any age be allowed to use it? You know this is the real medicine that can help them. Instead, they'll take a kid today in school and they'll say, well he has attention deficit disorder, and then they'll put them on Ritalin. Well, Ritalin is almost the same as amphetamines. You know, do you want your child on this stuff? And, and you don't know, like 10, 20 years down the road, you don't know what effect these chemicals are going to have on that child. Look at what happened with the big pharmaceutical company that just got found out for fraud that came up with Advir, you know, the product Advir, and they were in the paper about how Advir actually makes asthma worse. Yeah, well, butrin, something like that. I don't know if I'm saying the correct name, but basically that it makes things worse. And they're being sued for fraud. Yeah, everything they give us makes us worse. I mean, the medicine today, it's not about healing. It's just about money. You know, like I said, if you want to heal, you have to use Mother Nature. But don't expect to get anything from your doctor. I mean, they just want to give you, a, well, what happens? You know, they give you a pill for something that's wrong with you, and that causes other problems. And then they give you another pill. And before you know it, you're taking six or eight pills. Well, we're, since no two of us are the same, now if you and I were on the same medications, that doesn't mean that these medications are going to have the same effect on us because we're chemically we're different. So the doctors are just using us like guinea pigs is what they're doing. Have you ever met the author of the book, The Indoor-Outdoor Medicinal Growers Bible? George oh, Jorge Cervantes. Cervantes. Jorge, yeah, Cervantes. Oh, I, I haven't, I haven't met him face to face. He knows about me, and I, I read, I wrote about him in, in the book. Uh, actually, that book you just named—that's my favorite book. And I always suggest to people, if you want to grow hemp, get that book. And if you know what's in that book, you will be an expert grower. Because I think he put out—it's just a marvelous book he put out. In terms of the legality, if somebody has a script because they're ill to buy monthly marijuana or THC, I don't even know what you call it, but if they can buy it pharmaceutically, is it provision different in every location if they can grow their own plant? Well, it, it, it depends on the country. Like, Well, here yes. in Canada, we have what they call the Marijuana Access Program, which in reality is a total fraud. I mean, nobody should need a license to grow this plant. You know, when you put laws in place, it's supposed to be based on the harm factor. Well, this plant does no harm. So there should be no laws against it at all. But if you if you apply, like some, some people, it's very hard to get a prescription from a doctor here in Canada, you know, for hemp. And uh, if you do apply to the government, uh, and if you are lucky enough to get the license to grow it yourself, you're still not allowed to gather the resins or to make the oil. You see, they, they know that the resins, you know, the oil, are made, the oil is made from the resins, and they know that the oil is a medicine, and they don't want you to have it. You know, it's okay to go home and you smoke your pot or you break it up and you put it in cookie dough or something, but it doesn't have the medicinal value that the real oil has. So it's just a scam. That's all it is. Very interesting. So what's next for you? You're going to Slovenia? I'll be back to Slovenia. And, well, or Slovenia? Uh, 
yeah, Slovenia, in uh, in August, I'll be there speaking at the, the Hemp Congress, and I'm probably going to spend two or three weeks in Croatia right after that, and then I'm going down to uh, Uruguay because they just legalized down there. I want to find out what's happening there. And uh, if I don't see anything in South America, I think possibly I may go out into the Pacific Islands because uh, they have a lot of health problems out there, too, especially French Polynesia, because, uh, you know, the, the French did all of those nuclear tests there in the 1960s. Yes. And uh, the, the leader of French Polynesia, he went to France here a while ago to have a meeting with the French president, and the French president wouldn't even see him. So he wants to pull away from France. He wants France gone. And, uh, you know, with this radiation damage, they have a lot of illness there and things like that. So I think that someone like me might just be welcomed. Don't forget that while French are known for their great food and croissants and cappuccinos and lattes and their beautiful accents and conversation, that France as a country also has a very big commitment for nuclear power. So I'm sure there wouldn't necessarily be the openness to this there. Well, they do have a history with hemp and stuff like that, growing it. and, and Really? But, oh, yes. But, you know, I mean, how would France like it if somebody went into the English cha- Channel and detonated an atomic weapon? Because this is what they did in French Polynesia. There was one year, I think, they detonated 192 nuclear weapons. Now, you know what that would do to the, to the environment and what it would do to the local populations. Well, they're definitely not alone. The U.S. has done similar things in different places. China has done similar things. There's a lot of countries that have acted in this manner. Oh, that's, that's very true. And I, I think what's happening now, the people are waking up. The day's going to come shortly when they won't put up with these corrupted individuals leading their countries. You know, it's interesting because no matter who anybody votes for, When it comes to your health, everything gets pushed aside. And the only focus is staying alive and staying well. And it really is the defining moment when you get ill or when you're not functioning physically anymore the way you used to or something happens to you and you're losing your health and it's speeding up. So the defining moment happens when the consciousness can open up and you are willing to try things you haven't tried before. And for all of the people who are irrationally opposing this, the testimonials are a remarkably important part of this whole process. I really think that this is a groundswell that's taking place. People will just start to take care of themselves and do what they can and not rely on the system anymore for everything. I mean, all of it is failing. All of it is failing. The GMO seeds, the water supply has been polluted, the air is being sprayed. Everywhere we look, there's an attack on humanity and the earth. And what's interesting is that everything that has a life force is either being confiscated, damaged, or killed. Like there's a mass kill operation going on that's actually coordinated from around the world. The thing is that people would say that's a conspiracy theory. Well, if you have enough facts to back up all these situations and there's millions of facts, not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, millions of verified facts of this stuff going on. It is obvious that when it comes to your health and well-being, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, if it's about you losing your life or trying hemp, then I guess you'll do what you have to do because the system is not going to take care of us. 
they have no concern for us whatsoever. But I think the system has become a thing, like it's an independent thing. It has a life of its own. Well, I mean, what I've told people right along, I mean, the, the people in any country are the power. The governments are supposed to be working for them. And I think it's just about time that people stood up and reminded the governments of what their role really is. And to get rid of all these corrupted people that all they want to do is fill their pockets. I mean, when you're, when you're a public official, you're supposed to be, your first concern should be the public that you're working for, not some drug company or other rich guy somewhere. Now, you know, genetic modification should have never been allowed in the first place. And, uh, I mean, you see these people, all these farmers in India committing suicide, you know, because, uh, you know, they can't afford to farm anymore because now they've got to buy their seeds. And I think it was last year, two years ago in Haiti when they had that earthquake. Yes. Monsanto sent down, I think it was 400 tons of their seeds, you know, to help the poor farmers. Well, the, far the farmers down there were a lot smarter than Monsanto gave them credit for because they took all the Monsanto seeds out, put them in a pile, and burnt them. The best thing they could have done. All of this nonsense has to come to an end. Wow. I really think that Monsanto will eventually have to go into hiding. I mean, they've even changed the company to another name now. So people keep saying Monsanto, and I think it's even another name now. What's clear to me, though, is that other than if you have an emergency and you have to be surgically operated on to put your body back together, it's not going to help you for prevention. And that's profound. That's profound because we look to the system like a parent. And once people start becoming more self-reliant and realize that there are applications for wellness and for health that have been there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, a new door of consciousness opens. And I so appreciate you. I so appreciate what you've stood for, what you've gone through. The fact that you've helped so many people who've been ill to come back to wellness who were at death's door and that you've actually shown people how to fish. God bless you, Rick Simpson. Well, you're more than welcome, dear. But, I mean, back when I really, you know, figured out what this medicine was all about, you know, I had three grandchildren. And I realized, you know, if I didn't do this, they don't have a future. You know, they're going to get 30, 35 years old. They're going to get sick and whatever life they have. It's, it's, it's always going to be diseases and sickness. I couldn't sit with this knowledge and keep quiet about it. You know, I just did the right thing. I told the people the truth. And for that, they call me a prophet and a saint and all of these other names. But if we all just simply stood and told the truth, that's all we got to do and understand, you know, what is being done to us. It's so obvious. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with to wrap up this interview today? Well, uh, I mean, the main thing is, is, you know, educate yourself. Become self-reliant. Stop depending on the system to do everything for you. You know, and if they go and they, if you check out our website and everything, it will tell you how to make the medicine and everything yourself. And what I encourage people to do, and I've said it right from the beginning, well, when every second person knows how to cure their own cancer, how's the system going to stand against it? And what I would like to see people do is just unite. You know, go to your politicians, go to your doctors, and just tell them, well, look, we've had enough of you. You know, we want something that heals us. And I think if we did this in a rational way, I'd like to see this settled without bloodshed. If you look at human history, we've never done anything right. But if we, if we unite over this and we, we could do this, uh, like a, we could make a smooth transition into hemp-based industries, and we could put the world back on the right track. But I need the rest of the human race, you know, to help me do this. And then we can give mankind a future. You know, at the rate that we're poisoning this planet, we don't have much of a future. So for God's sakes, unite 
and do something about it and give your children and your grandchildren a future. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Rick Simpson. You can reach Rick by going to phoenixtears.ca. Rick, thank you so much, and I would like to talk with you again when you get to another part of the earth. Feel free to call me, and we'll plug you in and do a broadcast then. Thanks again. I will do, It's rain-making time. (laughs) It's been a pleasure, dear.